The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open them to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 22. And I want to read what the story. We're just going to read one story. And then I'm going to, um, we're going to look at it and, and make some application. So it says in verse 23, Matthew chapter 22, verse 23. The same day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses said that if a man dies, having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were with us seven brothers. The first died after he had married, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brethren, brothers. And likewise, the second also, and then the third, even to the seventh. Now that's a law that was in Israel. I'll explain in, in a few moments. But last of all, then the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her. Jesus answered and said to them, you are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Let's bow our heads and pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit, who is here this morning, will speak to our hearts. And I pray, Lord, that you will use this message and, and what you answered and what you said 2,000 years ago needs to be said again. It needs to be said in today's world, in this generation, in this age. Lord, and there are many who are listening who need to hear the word of the Lord. And I pray that you would let it come down like beautiful, precious bread from heaven. Nourish and feed our spirit and our soul. And Lord, may we be set free and delivered and brought into the very presence of our King of Kings. We ask it in the worthy and precious name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Okay, so I'm going to start with you in the outline here. And usually these kind of little, I call them life lessons, are really the application. So we're going to start with the first application here, and then we're going to get into the text and see why and what Jesus was trying to say. So the, we have the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and now the Sadducees are coming and challenging Jesus with a question. But the first application for us is true intellectuals believe in the supernatural. How many of you believe in the supernatural, huh? It is very, very real. Now, in spite of the fact that it says the same day now the Sadducees came. Uh, and because it was the same day that just prior, last week, we saw the Pharisees come. So, who, you know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are kind of the ancient names of the Jewish in the religious world of ancient Israel 2,000 years ago. Uh, the Pharisees uh, basically, uh, you know, you, you look at it and can say this way. The Pharisees were very legalistic, so they're not always fair, you see. And then the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection, and that's why they are sad, you see. So that's how you can tell a little bit between the two of them. 
Um, the Sadducees were the priests primarily in charge of the temple worship in Jerusalem. Um, and they were different from the Pharisees. The Pharisees were basically like essentially the Orthodox Jews of modern times. And the, the uh, Sadducees were not very many in number. There were a lot more Pharisees, people religious and believed in all kinds of the things that God has declared. But the Sadducees were very wealthy. They were the aristocratic. They were the governing class. And the name Sadducee means righteous ones. <laughs> That's what their very name means. In many ways, the Sadducees were the ancient version of the modern liberal theologians. And what I mean by that is they were anti-supernaturalistic. They only accepted the first five books of the Old Testament that were written by Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And they said, okay, that's, that's got authority. We believe Moses, we trust Moses, but you know, the prophets, we respect them and we read them and the other writings and the history and the Proverbs and all that. Uh, but it doesn't have really that same power and authority. We stick to just Moses, whatever Moses said. And they did not believe, therefore, in the resurrection. They did not believe in angels. They did not believe in spirits, really, at all. They were the materialists and the rationalists of their day. And while they had respect for the other writings, they found no evidence of the resurrection in the first five books of Genesis through Deuteronomy, so they say. And so now they come to Jesus with a theological question. And what's interesting is their theological question uh, is about the resurrection. They don't even believe in the resurrection. And so they come to Jesus and they say, hey, we know because it's actually in the Torah, which they would call the first, only the first five books, all written by Moses. And in Deuteronomy chapter 25, uh, what it said, and it's very interesting, that if there's a woman and, and her husband dies, in the ancient world, this law provided that a brother should then marry her. Uh, and this was God's vital protection, especially for women in, in the ancient Middle East, because in many societies, if a woman lost her husband, if she was widowed or if she was childless, she was in danger for her life. How is she going to live? How is she going to provide for herself? So there was a law where a brother was to marry her and at least take the responsibility of providing for her and caring for her. So in, now these guys come up with this uh, hypothetical situation. And they go, well, okay, so there's a woman, she's married to this Jewish guy, and then he dies. So then the brother marries her, but then he dies, and then a third brother has to marry her, and then he dies. I'm thinking by number four, I'm not wanting to marry this lady. Is anybody feeling me? <laughs> well, anyway, as the story goes, there's seven brothers. They all fulfill, you know, they marry her, and they all die. And then finally, she dies. And then finally, uh, now they all go to heaven. And so the Sadducees are standing there saying, so Jesus... Which one will be of the seven her husband in the life to come? Now, this was not really a serious question. What they're really doing in their question is kind of just making fun of the whole idea that there's a resurrection in the first place. And they feel like we've kind of got Jesus trapped. 
Uh, because, you know, is it brother one? Is it brother number three? Does she get to pick or do they get to pick? Or how does it all work out? It just seems crazy to them. And so they were making fun of the idea of the resurrection. And so interesting, um, you know, look, look with me. Let's go back and let's read it. Chapter 22, beginning with verse 23. Where am I? Okay, so verse 23, the same day the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to him and asked him saying, teacher, Moses said, so that's the only guy that they would listen to, that if a man dies and he has no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up his offspring of his brother. There were seven brothers. The first died after he had married and having no offspring left his wife and his brother. Likewise, the second also and the third even to the seventh. And last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her. And then in verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, you are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. So I want you to write that down. Because here, Jesus is revealing that they really had uh, a blind spot in regard to the full revelation of God's truth. Going on, verse 29, Jesus goes on to say, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels of God in heaven. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Jesus reveals that in this kind of theology, so these guys were very smart. They read the scriptures. They were intellectuals. They were brilliant. They were historians. They were students. They were religious. But they had come to the place where they really didn't believe in anything spiritual, anything supernatural, anything about life after death. And basically, Jesus tells them, you have a blind spot. He comes to them and he says, you are mistaken. So the first thing Jesus says to them is, you are wrong. And then after he says, you are wrong, he says, you do not know the scriptures. Now, they thought they were the experts on the scriptures. And he's going to show them, reveal something to them that once they saw it, they literally could not speak to, to Jesus. They couldn't answer him. They were struck silent. And he goes, nor do you know the power of God. As King Messiah, Jesus answers their question with such clarity and conviction, they are stunned. And after, you know, it's noteworthy, what interesting, that later on, as Judaism continued to grow and to develop, uh, that the belief in the resurrection became one of the fundamental beliefs of all of Judaism, uh, the doctrine of the resurrection. In fact, in the Talmud, it says, all Israel shall share in the world to come. And these have no share in the world to come. He who says there is no resurrection of the dead from, from the Torah. So they said, no, the resurrection is something that we believe in and that we will follow and that we will trust in. Amen? So going on, it is important for us to know the scriptures and the power of God. I love how the Sadducees connected everything that they thought to the Bible, but they didn't think through the passage correctly. 
They were highly trained men, but they were mistaken in their understanding of basic biblical truth. And I want to just say this, it is possible for someone to know the Bible, to have a lot of Bible knowledge, and yet not fundamentally know the Scriptures. Have you ever met someone like that? They're very smart, they're very intellectual, they're men that have degrees in Hebrew and in Greek and in history and in ancient writings, and they can quote to you verses from the Bible, they know all about the story of creation and on through the Exodus and into the whole history of Israel, the Gospels, the book of Acts and the church and on to the book of Revelation. And they can talk to you about it from a humanistic worldview. They're kind of religious. They're kind of spiritual. They have a form of godliness, but there's no real power to it. There's nothing of the spirit of God that is inside of it. They know the Bible in their head, and they know the Bible as a book, but they don't really know or have a relationship with the author. Can I hear an amen on that? It is, there are very many people like that. It is possible to have much Bible knowledge and yet to have a blind spot. The Sadducees denied the supernatural truths of the existence of angelic beings, of bodily resurrection. They had a doubt about the power of God beyond something that they could understand, that they could see, that they could measure, that was physical. They go, don't talk about all the stuff you can't see. I want to talk about what I can actually see, what you can actually record, what you can actually handle, what you can actually look at and discuss and talk about. And I want to say to you that there are still Sadducees that are with us today. Um, They're here. They don't... uh, they, they, they write many things, they quote the Bible, they're familiar with the Bible, but they don't really believe in a final judgment. They don't believe really in heaven or the life after. They believe that you know, Christianity, religion, and so forth is kind of some nice moral values that have a certain tradition and history to them. And what I want to say to you is, if you have never experienced the supernatural, I am going to pray that God will give you a breakthrough. Because I believe that the enemy wants to keep people from seeing what's really going on or understanding what's really taking place in the world. In my own life, um, you know, when I first heard the gospel and I've told and shared my story of coming to Christ, when I was 10 through Billy Graham, I heard the gospel and its power of salvation and guilt and the forgiveness of my sins. And then we started going to this uh, church out in El Cajon. And then it was, so I knew I was saved. I knew, you know, I should live a good Christian life. And when I die, that I will go to heaven. But then uh, several things started, I started hearing about the Holy Spirit. (laughs) And, you know, I was in a church tradition where there wasn't a lot of talk about the Holy Spirit. So I began listening and there was, you know, on the radio there were things and I started listening and then there was a place where some guy was coming, he was going to pray for people, they're going to get healed. So I was like, well, I want to go see, is this real or what? And I actually uh, had broken my ankle playing football in high school. So I thought, oh, cool, man, I, I need to get healed because I need to play football. So I went up and I got in line. And this guy is going and praying for people, and he, he, cut, he started way down over here. There were a lot of people that had come forward to get prayed for. 
So I'm standing there, I'm like 15 years old, I'm waiting, you know, just my eyes closed, wondering if I'm gonna see some vision or something. I didn't see anything except stars when I squinted my eyes real hard. But then, all of a sudden, you know, and this guy wasn't anywhere near me. He was probably as far away as you are right there. I'm here, and he's, he's way over there. And all of a sudden, I saw the only way I can describe it is, as the Bible describes it, the glory of the Lord. It was like, it was not merely light. It was divine light. It was like heaven. It was like, I I don't know if I went up into it or it just came down upon me, kind of like the apostle Paul describes, but it was like every, he wasn't near me. He didn't touch me. He didn't push me. Uh, There was no psychological thing. There was no physical contact. And the next thing you know, this, this heaviness came upon me. I'm on the ground and I'm like, I'm like in heaven. I'm like, I don't care if I ever get up the rest of my life. This is so amazing. And it was the most beautiful, powerful experience. And all of a sudden, it changed my life in this sense. I knew, you know what? The Holy Spirit is real. He is very, very real. This is not just good morals and values. It is that, but it's a lot more. It's a divine book that talks about divine realities. The Holy Spirit is a real person. Angels also are real, which also means demons are real. Demons are fallen angels who rebelled against God. It was only several years later, so that was about 15. Then I turned 18. I, mo- I felt called into the ministry. I'd been doing Bible studies at my high school uh, every year with the football team, the wrestling team, cheerleaders would come, friends would come. And I felt, wow, I think God's calling me to be a pastor. And I was headed to a certain denominational group, and then I heard Pastor Chuck Smith teach simply through the Bible. And I was like, whoa, I want to go. Where did you go to school? I want to learn the Bible like you. And he said, uh, oh, Ray, uh, you know, come to Costa Mesa and all, and we'll just go through the word together, you and I. Uh, I believe. Anyway, that was Chuck back in the day, if you ever heard him on the radio. So I ended up doing a U-turn and I move up to Costa Mesa. I'm living in in a house ministry called the House of Psalms. This is back in the mid seventies. It was a very different time. There's like 30 to 40 people, hippies, uh, halfway house. um, it, It was crazy, basically. And for a year, I lived in that house ministry, went to Calvary Costa Mesa almost every night, going through Bible studies and listening to, as you guys remember, uh, cassette tapes. (laughs) They they had, you know, Chuck through the Bible with cassette tapes and taking notes. And yet we had a library where these are the commentaries that Pastor Chuck uses. And now, wow, I could get my own commentary and read what he's reading for the Bible studies that he does. So I was having the best time of my life, man. I'm just 18, I'm on fire for the Lord, I'm growing. And then one of the girls comes in and uh, she's got eyes as big as saucers. She goes, help, help. And we're like, what? Come right now. My brother is going nuts. He's demon possessed. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'd never seen that at the Nazarene church back there in Elkhorn. So anyway, all of a sudden we go to this place. So look, I am just, I'm just telling you, this is what I've experienced and what I've seen, I have seen over the many years uh, people that have problems uh, mentally, 
uh, issues emotionally, disturbances, chemical imbalances uh, that have been traumatized, and that's all real, and that is all legitimate. But I'm also going to tell you, and you can't put it in any other basket, when I went into this place, when I, when I crossed through the threshold of that door, where this poor young man, yes, he was into drugs, but he was also deeply into the occult, and I am telling you that instantly I walked through that, I felt the presence of demonic uh, reality uh, and hatred, and it came through this guy, and he, so there are about five of us, and I, you know, I'd never done anything like this before, so I just got, I got my Bible in front of me, you know, <laughs> like my, this is my gun, and, and I'm opening it to the Gospels. I'd never done this before, so I'm like, what do I do? And I, so I went, I'm going to read about Jesus and the cross, you know, in Jesus' name, and I'm coming at him, and, and he zeroes in on me, and he's, he's yelling and profanities, and and wow, it was, I, it's hard to describe, you, but when you go through that, I, I, even as I'm experiencing it, I realize it's not him. This is not that young man. There is a spirit in that young man. There's another attitude, voice, vocabulary, intensity, and spirit that was coming through against me. And I'm rebuking him, that spirit in the name of Jesus. That guy is so angry that, and he's trying to get my Bible. He can't, he wanted to knock it out of my hands. He couldn't do it. Something was holding him back. He took uh, uh, matches and he lights a match on fire and he's coming up. He wants to throw the match. I mean, he's standing right in front of me. He wants to throw a match into my Bible to put it on fire so I'll stop reading the scriptures. And he would take the match and he would, and I was like, I'm just standing there, you know, frozen. And as he throws it like this, he's going to put it right here. He go, he, his arm can't put it on the Bible. It goes over here. He gets mad and he's yelling and he gets another match and, he goes, and then he goes over here. It was like, he, and so then I'm going, hey, dude, yeah, hey, hey, <laughs> hey. Yeah, you know that's real, don't you? I felt authority. All of a sudden, I wasn't just an 18-year-old kid. I was experiencing something powerful, supernatural, divine, and there was a spirit with such hatred and animosity, but had to yield. And finally, rebuking it in Jesus' name, all of a sudden, this kid, he, he goes from just, you know, I mean, the way he, he arched and moved around like a snake, I want to go on all, it's kind of gross. But anyway, all of a sudden, he kind of like, he blinks, and you look at him, you're like, oh, I think it looks like the guy's face, you know, had changed. Now it's like him. And he goes, oh, my gosh. He goes, that thing is gone. I was like, yes, Lord, hallelujah. He could feel it when it left. He could feel it and the release because I'm telling you the supernatural world is real. Now, what happens especially with Sadducees and theologians who become, as it were, so broad-minded and so smart and so intellectual and so forth, and who like to, uh, you know, park the supernatural over here as just, you know, we don't really believe that. And I have found that what has happened is, you know, almost invariably, each time, there was a moment in time when they were younger, when they were little. And when you're little, it's easy to believe in God and, and to believe in a Father in heaven and 
a creator who's good and who's glorious and who loves us. And, and then at a certain point, you get scared. Something happens or you pray a prayer and you don't realize that you enter into a covenant. You make a deal because there's something you're praying about and you're trusting in this supernatural, though invisible God that is good and that is loving and is all powerful. And therefore, Lord, you will heal my mom she will not die if you are who you claim to be. If you're all powerful and all loving, I'm praying with all my heart, don't let anything happen to mom. I'm just using that as an illustration. And then all of a sudden, mom dies. And all of a sudden, a, you know, a young man or a young woman goes, hmm. And then maybe gets made fun of, oh, you actually, well... And, and then they, they make a decision, okay, look, I, I, gotta, I gotta deal with this, I gotta park this somewhere, and you are not, I, I kind of refuse to trust in you or fully believe in you that you're everything and as good as you say that you are, and you don't realize you made a deal, you held God to your own standards of how he should operate in a certain situation. Now that's obviously, that's not right. It doesn't change anything about the goodness of God or the greatness of God or the power of God or the faithfulness of God. But oftentimes what I have found is that with, my, with modern Sadducees, they have been deeply hurt, deeply wounded. And, and look, there, there are people in your family, you might have a Sadducee in your family, kind of religious, kind of believe in God, kind of, kind of you know, give credence to certain values of religion or Christianity, but they get, then there's the hypocrites and they got all these questions and you can't really trust this. And what they're really battling with is an issue that goes down to a point where they were wounded and they were hurt. And the enemy, boy, you don't think that he jumps on that, ha ha, so God is all loving, he's gonna take care of you. No, you can't trust him. Dude, you gotta use your own brain, your own intellect, your own understanding, accept the good parts, but you decide what you're gonna believe, what you don't believe, and make your own way. Ooh, be careful. You are a Sadducee. And I wanna say this about Sadducees. Do you know why Jesus entered into this conversation with Sadducees? entertained their question, answered their question, and gave them a breakthrough and a hope. And by the way, some of those very Sadducees became believers in the Lord Jesus later and became part of the church in the book of Acts. And by the way, you'll see those Sadducees in heaven because God touched them and healed them. So for those that are in your family that are kind of Sadducees, they're, kind of, they're not antagonistic against God, but they got their limits. I pray for them in the name of Jesus, that the Father will have mercy upon them. I pray that the Lord will right now, in the name of Jesus, bring them back to that place of wounding and of hurting and where they wanted God to act a certain way, but he did not. And you entered into an agreement. You didn't even realize it, but you got locked in by the enemy. Jesus said, you have, this is what he said to the Sadducees, you have been led astray. That's another way of saying you have been robbed. The enemy is a thief. The devil is a thief and a liar and a robber, and he steals precious childlike faith. For to enter into the kingdom of heaven, you must have the child of a, or faith of a little child that believes in a great God and a wonderful and a glorious heavenly father. And therefore, 
I pray in the name of Jesus that God will open your eyes. Not only those who are listening to this message, I know there are some that this is like a word directly to you and God never gives up on you and he keeps pursuing you and he keeps bringing things to your attention. And even that you're hearing this message is not a coincidence. In fact, as it has been said, the word coincidence is not really a kosher word. There's no such thing as coincidence. And therefore, if you ever made a deal like that, and, and yet here you are, maybe you're here listening, sitting here this morning first service. Maybe you're listening to the radio right now. Maybe you're watching online somewhere. And this is kind of like, you're like, okay, so you're, you're talking to me. I'm listening. What do you got to say? I pray for you in the name of Jesus that you would be willing. And the whole reason that you're drawn still is that you're wanting to be healed. You're wanting to believe in a good God and a glorious heavenly father that has a glorious future and plan for you and that he did not fail you as you thought when you were younger and that he heals that wound and he brings to you into the fullness because that's why there's something still missing in your life. That's why Jesus wrestled with the Sadducees so much because he loved them and he wanted them to be healed. So in the name of Jesus, I pray, God will break through that darkness He'll br and that you will willingly say, okay, you know what? I'm kind of sorry, I made a deal. I made this covenant that if you're not gonna perform this way and you realize I shouldn't have said that or I shouldn't have done that, just acknowledge and say, I'm sorry, Lord, could you heal me? Uh, it still hurts. I don't know what to do with all of that, but could you have mercy upon me and show me, Lord, your mercy? I believe in Jesus' name. He will hear that prayer. He will answer that. He will come to you. He will deliver you. He will bring you into the goodness and the plans that he has for you. Can I hear an amen? Amen. amen. Jesus tells us we will be in a whole new dimension in heaven. So in verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, you are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels of God. So Jesus says, you guys don't, you know, you're saying, you know, here this, uh, you know, situation, there's a guy you know, or this lady and she has, this goes through the seven brothers and what will happen. And what Jesus is saying is, look, I, I have been to heaven. I am from heaven. Jesus did not begin, you know, went to be born in, in Bethlehem. He, you know, he was not merely 33 years of age. He is the ancient of days. He existed far before the whole story and the drama of the virgin birth. He existed eternally with his father in heaven. He is from heaven. And so with that knowledge of the eternity and being with the angels, he's telling these Sadducees, you don't know what you're talking about. When you get to heaven, there is no more marriage. So what he's saying by that is that uh, when we get to heaven, we're going to have new and glorified bodies, but everything is going to be different. 
Where there's no more marriages. And the purpose, part of the purpose that God had for marriage is that a man and one woman would come together for one lifetime and then have a child. And the idea was that children would be raised with that commitment and that stability and that intimacy of both a male and a female, a man and a woman, and safety and raised in that way. But when we get to heaven, we're not, there's no more marriages because we're not going to be having more babies. Um, we are who we are. So yes, there's grandpa and grandma and all of that, and we'll know them, we'll recognize them, but we're not going to be getting married and we're not going to be having more children. I just want to say this, if that's all Jesus told us. There's a thousand questions that come to me after that, that people say, well, what about this? What about that? I don't know. He didn't say. So we have to leave it at that. But I also want to say this, Jesus did not say we will become angels. There are some people that believe that. Of course, Hollywood has made movies about it. Oh, you know, a guy dies and then he goes up and he goes, oh, I got my wings. I'm now an angel. No, we don't become angels. We become like the angels. Angels. So here's an interesting thing we learn about angels. In heaven and fraternity, angels don't get married and have little baby angels. (laughs) Even though you go into art stores and different things and they have the little bit, you know, kind of babies with little tiny wings and no, angels don't get together and have little baby angels. He says, you're going to be like the angels. So apparently this brief season on earth is the only season for eternity that you will ever know what the intimacy of marriage is, A, so take advantage of it to the best of your ability. And secondly, the only time and season as we know it and understand it that we will be having children. So enjoy them while you can. Love them and bless them, cherish them, and then on into eternity and share in the kingdom of heaven. Can I hear an amen on that? So then let's look at uh, finally. Finally, Jesus proves the resurrection to the Sadducees who don't believe in the resurrection, even though they asked him a question about the resurrection, to none other than Moses himself. Finally, Jesus proves the resurrection by referring to none other than Moses himself. So Jesus says in uh, verse 31, but concerning the resurrection of the dead (laughs) that you guys don't believe in, have you not read what was spoken to you by God saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Our Lord was not content with refuting the Sadducees' uh, foolish views of the future life. He wants to answer directly their claim that there is no resurrection. And he did it by referring to Moses directly himself. The only one in the entire Old Testament the Sadducees believed and trusted in Jesus quoted Moses to prove out of the Torah, out of the first five books of the Old Testament, that God is the God of the living and of resurrection. So here it is, Exodus chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. This is the story when God Almighty revealed himself to the man some 3,000 years ago named Moses. Let's read it out loud. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. 
And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. This is a quote from the heart of the Torah, the first five books from a passage of God revealing himself literally to Moses. Notice, God did not say, I was the God of Abraham, for that would mean that Abraham was no more. By saying, I am the God of Abraham, the Lord is making it clear that these three men, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, were at that time alive. I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. And by repeating the God of, the Lord was saying that he knew each one of them, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he loved them personally and individually, and that they were in a living relationship with him at that moment. So here Jesus proves the resurrection. And I want to say this, God knows you. God has a plan for you. God loves you personally. He loves you individually. He is the God of the living. He is the resurrection and the life. If you place your faith and trust in him, you will live forever with him. And you can live in that resurrection power. Heaven is not something we wait for in the future, but by the Holy Spirit coming inside of us, we can begin experiencing heaven and the life of heaven and the spirit of God right here, right now on the earth. Amen? Amen. And then in verse 34, we'll close with the last verse. It says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, then they gathered together. So they tried to knock Jesus out. They got booted out. And then the Sadducees tried and they got booted out. And then the Pharisees said, well, it's our turn again. So they went back to him. But the word silence there is they were muzzled. They couldn't open their mouth. They couldn't say anything. They were literally like, Wow. Jesus just exposed us. He just went to the scriptures that all our rabbis say we should listen to, we should believe, we should obey, we should trust, written by Moses. He's the authority. He's the one we know gave divine inspiration. And to Moses, God revealed himself, I am. I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. And I am the God of Jacob. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.